you're listening, I want us all to be free. Maybe it's me, or maybe it's we. America, if you're listening, I want us all to be free. The answer to a fight. Let me tell you what I fight for. Then like, why do you write? Let me tell you who I write for. I write to the people that have swords that you never seen before. People like the door, cause the course ain't feeling remorse over the course of time, cause the parents had Hello world, my name is Candace Heckler and I'm your host of A Word With You. I'm glad you could join us. How many of us, if we knew we were about to go into a battle with an enemy, were first of all recognize who that enemy was, prepare for the attack, learn their strategy, and put on an armor to use against them? As Christians, our enemy is Satan, and he has a three-part job description, which is to kill, steal, and destroy. Today, we will talk about a few strategies that we can use to come against his attacks. In 1 Peter 5, 18, 8 through 10, it says, it describes Satan as an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. He walks around this earth, identifying his next target. He chooses us by watching our ga game film, similar to a football player when they watch highlight reels from the team they will be playing to see what their weaknesses are. They study all of the positions to see who lines up where, who gets called off sides, who opens them, who is open the most, who leaves their position too early, and who has unsportsmanlike ship conduct. He gets angry with the, he watches who gets angry with the referee's calls. He, he looks at who is not paying attention and when something is coming their way. And he does also uh, observe people who do not read the playbook. Well, Satan is checking our lives to see where we line up and what position we take in terms of whose side we are on. If we are on his side, he doesn't invite us to play in the game. Satan tries to call us off sides by putting temptations in our way. He looks for who is open to his schemes and who will not maintain their position in Christ. Satan measures our conduct and calls us on trivial matters when we're not paying attention. And when a heavyweight or a linebacker is coming towards us, Satan's job description is to wreak havoc on our lives. He is fully aware when we aren't reading the playbook, which is the Bible. Satan is no respecter of people. If, if he could tempt Jesus, the Son of God, our perfect Redeemer, what will you expect him to do to us? 
And in Matthews 4, 1 through 11, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of there, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. In the opening verse of Matthew chapter four, I absolutely love how the Lord engaged Satan by entering the wilderness. Think about it for a moment. The sovereign Lord of this universe who created the world and everything in it, including Satan, you know he didn't have to do that, right? It is of my personal opinion that Jesus did that to show us that we who have the Holy Spirit, which is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, if Jesus could overcome temptation from the evil one, certainly we should be able to. The Lord also added fasting for 40 days and 40 nights to also prove to us that even at our weakest moment, we could also escape the tempter. The Lord honors fasting. It's like you get his attention because you are communicating to him that you view your relationship with him as such a high priority that you are willing to sacrifice your comfort level by dying to your own flesh. You are effectively saying that by not eating, you will spend time praying, worshiping, and studying God's word. Fasting plays a key role in combating spiritual warfare, and it should be incorporated in many of our spiritual disciplines. In verse 3, Satan had the audacity to tell him that if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, Satan knew that Jesus was the son of God. And again, it is my own interpretation that Satan never expected that Jesus would compromise. He was just reveling in the notion that he could even have an audience with the great I am. 
And as Christ's ones, we should never invite Satan to sit at the table with us. That includes reading tarot cards, Ouija boards, psychic hotlines, consulting mediums, witchcraft, even your astrological sign, Re reading that. These things open the door to a full frontal attack with Satan. Don't even play with the devil because you know what? We're not going to win. In verse 4, Jesus silenced him by directing him to the scriptures. And he announced to Satan that people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan knows the Bible probably better than some of us, Christ ones, but we still have to remind him like Jesus did. And in verse 5, the devil, when he took him up to the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem, when he said, if you are the son of God, jump off. The devil, he's not that bright. He should have deduced that the son of God doesn't take orders from anyone because Jesus is boss. That alone should have been enough to shut Satan's schemes down. The same with us. Satan knows that we are the king's kids, and that's precisely why he tries to tempt us. Satan revels in what the scriptures say by reciting what the angels will do to protect us. In verse 7, Jesus said, like, uh, dude, well, he didn't probably use that word. Jesus said, you must not test the Lord your God. Jesus had to remind Satan again. And you would think that the devil would leave Jesus alone, but he, he's relentless. He took him to a high mountain peak and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and told Jesus that he would give him everything if he would simply kneel down and worship him. There's two points here. The devil never gives up and he will always seek to bring spiritual warfare to us. But we have to keep reminding him of whose we are and what the Bible says. The other point is Jesus owns everything. So how was Satan promising Jesus something he already owned? And in verse 10, Jesus harshly rebuked him by saying, get out of here. And by calling him by name, he had to say his name. And he also reminded him about what the scriptures say. And it says that you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. In verse 11, Satan finally got worn out. He gave up trying to tempt Jesus because it wasn't working. The same with us. If we hold our ground, eventually Satan will stop. Well, I don't know if he'll stop, but he'll move on to somebody else. In, in verse 11, Jesus enlisted the help of angels to minister to him. And sometimes when we've been bruised and battled and in a spiritual warfare exercise with the evil one, we might have to call on the ministering angels to help us. But be mindful 
Not all spiritual warfare attacks arrive because we've done something wrong. Sometimes they come because you are a perceived threat to the kingdom of darkness and Satan wants to stop you in your tracks. In that regard, push on and keep working because greater is he, which is Jesus, that is within us than he who is in the world, which is Satan. This wilderness for Jesus took place right after his baptism. And he, he was just commissioned by his father to begin his work. And so, of course, Satan was going to try to cut him off at the pass. The next time you are in the wilderness, view it from the position that it's just a place of preparation as you wait on the Lord to reveal his perfect plan for your life. Now that I've provided a little framework for the tempter, now that we are certainly aware of his devices, let's switch to how we go into battle against him. According to Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, Stand firm, then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Please read that when you get a chance. I had to speed it up a little. Verse 10 leads with be strong. And the only way to accomplish this is by the Lord's mighty dunamis power. In verse 11, when he, when he says we are in Okay, let me slow down. In verse 11, when we are his, in accordance with 2 Corinthians 5.15, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone. The new is here. That means we whose name are written in the book of the Lamb are very well capable of combating spiritual attacks. In verse 11, we are putting on the full armor of God. The armor for a soldier is specifically designed to protect every part of the body. The only part that's not protected is the back. You know why? Because we're never, we're never supposed to run away from our enemy. We run into the battle with our full gear on, knowing that our Lord will protect us every step of the way. The devil uses schemes to prevent us from carrying out the perfect will of God in our lives. He uses devices like confusion, jealousy, hatred, dissension. And whenever he can, like I said earlier, he'll do his three-part job description, still kill and destroy. 
Well, in verse 12, we learn that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against your husband. It's not against your wife, your children, your co-workers, the people at church. It is against powers of darkness and rulers and wickedness, things we can't even see. And an invisible enemy is so difficult to trace. But you know what? We have to have our spiritual eyes open so that we can sense his presence. And if we put our armor on every day, we will be ready for him. In verse 14, we are to stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around our waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The belt was thick and held equipment like food, weapons, ropes, and even some of the armor hanging from it to, to protect the body. Now, if the belt was not secured properly, the soldier could be in danger and the enemy could at least easily defeat him. The breastplate of righteousness is the piece that protects the heart and the lungs you know that one penetration of a sword can just knock you completely out if it hits your heart or your lungs. It is the key to having our heart protected from the evil one in spiritual combat. According to Proverbs 4.23, we need to practice guarding our heart for everything we do flows from it. Our heart is central to every aspect of our lives. Its rhythms and the beats, they help to guide us away from the strategies of the evil one. In verse 15, we need to have our feet in place and fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And when I think of having my feet ready, I think of the verse in Romans 10, 15, it communicates and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. As Christ ones, we are commanded, not a suggestion, to preach the gospel either by telling people about the hope that we have or living a life that glorifies the Lord so much that they will inquire about him. In Matthew 28, 19, 20, we're also commanded, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. The gospel is peaceful. We don't have to defend it. And for those who are happy to hear Teach them with gentleness and all of humility. Those who reject it, shake the dust off of your feet. In verse 16, the Lord through Paul tells us to take up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, the Roman shield was large enough to cover the warrior's entire body. The shield was to protect against the arrows, but it could also be used to push the enemy to the ground if necessary. The shields consisted of wood and was covered with animal hide. So when it got wet, the flaming arrows would automatically be extinguished. 
part of the shield was also covered with symbols to identify what role the individual had in the army. Every soldier had a role to play in the military. In the Lord's army, what is your role? Are you an apostle, a teacher, evangelist, a pastor, or a prophet? Did you know that even in our everyday careers, jobs, our ministries, that we function in one of these roles? Whether you are a mom raising children, you have the teacher anointing, all the way to the president of the United States, you have a apostolic anointing. In verse 17, Paul invites us through the Holy Spirit to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet is the final piece that a soldier places on his head prior to combat. It is essential because it has to protect the brain, especially since the brain is responsible for the function of the entire body. The helmet is positioned on our head because it's protecting our mind. In spiritual warfare, we have to renew our mind in accordance with Romans 12.2. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve that God's will is his good, pleasing will. And then so then you will be able to test and prove that God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect will. We have to renew our mind that we will fight with everything we have to have the life that Jesus Christ died for us to have. We also in our minds need to hold on to 2 Corinthians 10.5 that states we demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Guard your mind. Keep that helmet on so that Satan cannot deactivate our minds. Because if he can, it will paralyze us from fulfilling the call of God on our lives. Dismantle his schemes and keep your mind and your heart stayed on Christ. This might mean, well, it doesn't, it doesn't, I shouldn't say this might mean, this does mean that we have to remember what we put through our eye gates, our ear, our ears, and what we consume in terms of on television, violence. Um, we have to be careful not to take um, medication that's not prescribed. We have to stop abusing alcohol. We have to get rid of some toxic relationships. If we're living um, in sin, if we're shacking, we got to get rid of that situation. We have to stop adultery, have to stop fornication, idolatry, covet coveting what your neighbor has. The list goes on. That's the only way to keep Satan at bay and to close any doors for his activity. It is by recognizing and repenting from sin as soon as possible. Now, we close with verse 18. It says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. 
With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. When we pray in the spirit, we are praying all the time. It doesn't mean that you have to have this long drawn out prayer. It is simply during the course of your day, identifying where God is at work and whisper a quick prayer of thanksgiving. I use my drive time to pray for people who pass me in their cars. I just say a quick prayer, Lord bless that man or woman as they are on their way. We don't ever need to know what the details are. We just need to pray. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in today's episode. My name is Candace Heckler. I'm your host of A Word With You and happy Valentine's Day. Shalom.